welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Welcome to this week's episode. This is the mom episode. I'm here to talk a little bit about my life as a mom. I've told lots of stories here and I've definitely referenced the fact that I'm a mom. I've talked about my son, I've talked about life with him, but there are a lot of you who listen who have never met me and who've never seen me in the context of being a mom. And everyone here in Miami where I live have never even met my son and don't know me in that role either. And so I just want to talk about my son. I feel like it's it's an element of my life that's so big. He's such a huge part of my heart. And yet he's not on display, which is, you know, I'm sure he's fine with that. But I just wanted to tell the story of my little Stevo. Um, his name is Steven. Um, he goes by Stevo. And when he was little, of course, lots of iterations of that. My sister calls him Steven Weaven. He doesn't particularly like that, as you can imagine. Um, but I'm just going to talk about the story of Steven. So I had Steven when I was 20. I was just a young kid. I was married. I was 20. His dad was 22 when Steven was born. Um, if you've listened to other episodes of the story of how I got married and married the wrong guy, married his dad, um, you kind of know the story a little bit of the background, but um, got married, not the greatest circumstances, and um, got pregnant with Stephen, and uh, just kind of excited at the idea of having a baby, but completely clueless about the whole thing. So when we got married, we lived with my parents for a few months. Donnie and I both worked downtown Minneapolis and so did my mom. And so we got married, we moved in with my parents and the three of us would commute down to Minneapolis. It was about a 35 minute drive and off we go to each of our offices and ride down and back together. So um, when I got pregnant, I was incredibly sick. Oh my goodness. I had the worst morning sickness. And so driving in the car, we had a minivan. My parents had a minivan. So Donnie and I were in the, you know, the back row, the second row right behind my mom. And car sick, traffic, up early in the morning. I just, oh my gosh, I was so sick. I would eat a couple of crackers on the way to work and I would just be sick. And um, I worked for the worst woman And I know that people have bad bosses and all of that. I don't have bad bosses very often. I haven't had many bad bosses. Jill Clapp was heinous. She was not enamored with the idea that she hired me. And then six months later, I was married and pregnant and calling in sick. And when I stopped calling in sick because she would write me up, I would come to work sick because I was sick. And then, you know, I was there. I would clock in, put my things in my cube, and then there was nothing that could be done about the fact that I was sick and would just go to the ladies' room. And I would nap on the floor next to the stool in the handicap stall. And I'd wake up and throw up and then go back to sleep and wake up and throw up until about noon when I was able to function. And that's how I 
spent my work days. So she didn't like that because, well, I mean, I understand, but she was less than compassionate. And I, I mean, I was sick. So the first three months of my pregnancy, I was so sick in the mornings. And by the afternoon, I felt okay, but um, it was tough. And when I hear about women who are pregnant and they have morning sickness their whole nine months, oh my goodness, I have so much compassion for that. It's the worst. So um, when I got pregnant, I was, I was a size 20 when I got married. I was, so it was pretty, pretty hefty, but not terrible. And so being pregnant the first few months, I couldn't keep much down. And so I gained, uh, I lost a little weight. So I was all excited about that at first. Like, oh, I'm pregnant, but I'm going to get thin. Well, then I stopped being sick. And so then I started eating. <laughs> and um, my whole pregnancy, I ate so much food. Um, I gained, I don't know how much I gained. I did the math one time. I was well over 300 pounds, probably close to 350, if I remember right. I was really heavy upon giving birth. Um, but you know, my whole pregnancy, I just ate and I didn't, didn't do any movement. Um, and it was hard to find clothes. It's hard to find plus size maternity clothes anyway. Um, but I was especially large and I grew really fast. And so luckily my mother... Um, was kind and she sewed me maternity clothes. She had a lot of fabric left over from projects like quilting projects and curtain projects. And she made me these really big, you know, typical maternity dresses that tie in the back so that they accommodated me as I got bigger. And so she made me, I think, four or five. They were all basically the same. I also had like a denim jumper I could wear a shirt under. And then it was like this long dress. So I had a few things to wear. And um, Donnie and I didn't have, we had no money. We were both working, um, making very little money. He was making okay money. Um, but, you know, to go buy maternity clothes is very expensive. So my mom kind of saved my budget that way. But um, we lived with my parents for a, the first five months of my pregnancy. And then we got our very first apartment. And it was really fun to set up a nursery. I remember getting the crib and the changing table from JCPenney catalog and putting those together and just being so excited about having a baby. And uh, my mom made crib padding and the quilt and all of those things and the little curtain for the, the baby's room. I, um, I wanted it decorated in precious moments. So we got fabric with little lace and it was just such a fun experience to be pregnant and I was young and stupid and ignorant of course no idea what really was coming um but I loved it I loved just imagining I remember just wondering what he would look like wondering what he would sound like just being so excited to meet my little boy and if you've had a baby if you're a mom you understand what I'm talking about it's just a magical beautiful experience and so and we were just kids. I mean, 20 and 22, scraping by. First apartment, I remember it was $580 a month for rent. And uh, we had a car, car payment. Actually, no, we, we didn't have a car payment. We bought a, a Ford Taurus, a used Ford Taurus station wagon for like $1,600. And that was our first car. And, um, you know, didn't we were just young and it was fine. So... Through my pregnancy, um, 
gained a lot of weight. I remember I was maybe six months pregnant and I showed up at my parents' house and my mom said, oh my goodness, you're big as a house. And my dad started laughing. He's like, oh, big, like a duplex. It was so rude, but kind of funny. So uh, anyway, so he was born um, in July. So here it is, you know, summertime. Minnesota is not super hot, but it was hot enough to keep me inside. Um, I was, you know, over 300 pounds. I, my doctor gave me a note a week before my due date to say I had to go on bed rest. So I was stoked about that. My last week of pregnancy, I just laid on the couch and ate and gained, I think, 10 pounds that last week. I remember the doctor <laughs> weighed me and said, oh, looks like you gained 10 pounds this week. That must not be right. The scale must be off. But no, that was totally right. I drank Mountain Dew and ate pizza nonstop on the couch. And I remember 4th of July was about a week before he was born and my feet were swollen. They were just absolutely huge. I was retaining so much water because I was eating crap and drinking pop and it was, I was just, I mean, I was 20 and I was so stupid. I didn't care about anything. I didn't care about my health. I didn't care about anything. And so I just, it was a disaster. And so I remember we went down to the lake in the town we lived in. They had a big fireworks 4th of July display every year. And so I was like, I want to go because I wanted to go to the food trucks and get mini donuts and cheese curds. So we walked down there and there was just people everywhere. So we're walking through the sea of people sitting on blankets at the lakefront. And I was waddling giant swollen feet. My feet were so huge that they wouldn't fit in shoes. I had to wear slippers. And I remember this gentleman looked up at me as I passed and he went, oh my God. And I burst into tears and said, I'm done. Let's go home. So we went home. But that's honestly how big I was. I was pretty, pretty huge. And um, that's just how it was. And I didn't care. I just was excited to have a baby. So um, my due date approached. I remember I was due on a Monday, July 13th. And I just remember thinking about that day so much. Just wondering if he'd be on time, if he'd be late you know, what, what it was going to be like. And as the day approached, of course you go into kind of nesting and I stopped sleeping and I started sewing, like cross stitching and I'd stay up all night and I was cleaning out cupboards. And I remember my mom was thinking, oh, she's going to have that baby soon. And so the weekend that he was born, my sister and her husband said, you know, we should really go out. It's your last chance to go out before you have your baby. Let's go to dinner and go to a movie. Lethal Weapon 4 opens on the weekend. Well, I love the Lethal Weapon movies, so I was totally in. So we got tickets, and um, we went down to... Um, they lived about 45 minutes from where we lived, and so we drove down there, and we went to dinner. And one of my coworkers had um, told me that if you eat Mexican food, it induces labor. And... So I ordered a chimichanga, which is clearly not Mexican food. And um, got in the car after dinner to go to the movie theater. And I remember I had had a cold and I was coughing. And when I was coughing, I thought, oh man, I'm kind of losing some bladder control here. This isn't great. And uh, so we got to the theater and I went to use the restroom. And it was weird because I didn't have to go. Hmm, it's very strange. So we go back out 
we get the giant tub of popcorn, of course, the giant sodas, and we go to the theater, and it was packed because it was opening night and it was sold out. So the only place to sit for the four of us was in the middle of a row down kind of in the front section. So I remember my sister, you know, whispering and it, we got in there as the credits or the trailer was starting for other movies. So my sister's kind of working her way to try to get these four seats together. And so here we go into the row. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. You know, walking laterally, little tiny steps. I'm ginormous holding my giant popcorn, my giant big coke finally get to our seats plop down sit down next to my sister for some reason donnie was at the end and then i was at the other end of our four so we sit down we're watching in the trailers it's a trailer for psycho the remake with anne Heche. and uh i remember this because i had been sick and i'd had a cold and so i had got a coughing fit and I coughed really hard and my water broke and I felt it. And that is what I've been feeling all night was the start of that. And it was like, there was no doubt. So I looked over at my sister. I said, uh, we gotta go, my water just broke. And she's like, uh, you're funny. I said, no, I'm serious. My water broke, we gotta go. And she's like, Paul, Kristen's water broke, Donnie. Kristen's water broke. So he's, are you kidding? I'm like, no, we gotta go. And it's, you know, quiet, packed theater. So up we stand. And I remember the trailer because, you know, in Psycho, it's that reet, reet, reet sound. <laughs> and so that's what's going on on the screen as we stand up and, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, shuffle out the line of people sitting there. I've got water running down my legs into my slippers. I'm still death gripping the popcorn. And out we go, Donnie goes running to the parking lot because we're very far from the hospital that we are supposed to go to. And uh, my sister runs to get me napkins for my shoes. And where did Paul go? Paul went to get refunds for our movie tickets because we didn't get to see the movie. He wasn't successful, but he got vouchers for another time. And he got me a refill on the popcorn, so I love that. So drove up to the hospital, got there. I was having no symptoms of anything. Uh, my water broke, but I was fine. I wasn't having contractions. And so when we got there, they just put me on a monitor and confirmed that my water broke and um, just said, okay, well, we'll wait for labor to start. So um, labor did not start all night. So about six in the morning, the doctor came in and said, you know, something's probably not super right. Uh, the baby's heart rate's going down just a little bit when you have even a tiny contraction that you can't feel and you're exhausted. So I think we should do a C-section. And I was like, sweet. I have no desire to push a baby out. That sounds terrible. So, uh, so they set me up for a C-section. So I was very excited to know that Sunday, July 12th, very soon I was going to be a mommy. And so um, I just remember just that feeling of like, this is it. I'm going to have this baby. And so went up to the operating room, they get you all set up. You know, you can't see, they put a curtain up, but, um, get you all, you know, numbed up and off you go. And I just remember hearing the doctor, her name was Dr. Miracle. She's, you know, okay, you're going to feel some pressure. And then, oh my gosh, he's enormous. 
I thought, what the heck am I having? And then a lot of pressure. And she's like, oh, yep, he was sitting on the cord. It's a good thing we did this. So everything was fine. But it wouldn't have been if we'd labored. So it was a great decision. And uh, and then I heard his little squeaky cry. And uh, it's a boy. And we hadn't done a, an ultrasound. So we didn't know what we were having. But I knew in my gut it was going to be a boy. And sure enough, it was a little boy. And so Donnie got to see. He's like, oh, yep, they're wrapping him up. He's screaming and all this stuff. And then it got quiet. And here he came. And I will... I will just never forget that moment. It's the greatest moment of my life. There's this moment and then everything is at least 25 stages below it in intensity. But they they brought him around the curtain and he was all wrapped up and he was quiet and his eyes were wide open and he looked at me and his eyes were like blueberries. They were just big, dark, beautiful, solemn eyes and he looked at me and I saw him and he was so beautiful and everything changed just like it does when you become a mom but it was perfect he just looked at me like hi and I said that to him I said hi and It was the greatest gift. I don't know why I got such a beautiful gift, but I did. And we named him Stephen Marcus Allen. And Stephen just, he was and is forever the little light of my entire life. He's just perfect. So being a mom, it's a it's a gift and it's an honor and it's something that I never asked for. I didn't, we didn't try to have him, um, just got pregnant cause you know, that's what happens. Um, but it was the most beautiful experience. Um, having a C-section obviously is not the ideal way to start out, but, um, I, I was stoked. I, I, I am happy to say I've never had to labor and push a baby out. I'm stoked to not know what that feels like. <laughs> so, um, got him home. It's so funny because baby blues, they talk about baby blues and hormones after a baby. And then, of course, you know, postpartum depression is a real thing. I didn't have that, but I definitely had the baby blues. I was just really fraught with emotion and crying all the time and for about two or three weeks. And um, Donnie didn't get paid time off. And so we had budgeted for him to have a week off. But when it came time for him to go back to work, I was absolutely seized with anxiety I've never had an anxiety thing it's not um it's not something I've really experienced or struggled with a lot but when it came time to be alone with the baby I was panicked I just thought what if he starts crying and I don't know what to do what if he needs a diaper change and I'm sleeping I mean all these scenarios that were not even scary or challenging but I couldn't cope and so I Donnie had to take more time off work because I just couldn't handle it. And finally, when he went back to work, I had this idea. I know how to fix this. Clearly, I cannot have a baby. This is too hard. Clearly, this was a big mistake. But Joe and Gloria at church, they have always wanted a boy. They have two girls. We'll just give Stephen to them. 
and then they'll have a boy and we won't have to do this. And it was such a genius idea in my adult sleep deprived hormonal brain. I called Donnie at work and I was like, I got the solution. We're going to give Stephen to Joe and Gloria. And he said, uh, excuse me. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's perfect. They want a boy. We can still see him sometimes, but we don't have to do this. And he said, um, I'm going to need you to call your mom to come over and take care of the baby. And you need to go to bed. <laughs> so I don't remember if I went to bed, but I remember, I just remember how incredibly impressed I was with that solution that I came up with. Um, and obviously we did not give Stephen to Joe and Gloria, but that's uh, how crazy hormones are. So we did not give the baby to Joe and Gloria. I, I ended up figuring out, okay, I can deal with not having sleep. I can deal with being tired. It's going to be fine. So, so I always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. My mom was a stay-at-home mom with us. And I just, I, I wanted that ideal. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I wanted to homeschool them all this stuff. I wanted it to be just like me because even though I'd escaped the cult and gotten out of my parents' house, once I was out of all of that and married to a monster, I realized that cult church was the only security blanket I had. So I went back to cult church and um, clung to that. And that was the only way that I knew to exist was to just try to recreate everything that I had had growing up um, because I, I knew how to do that. And so the one thing that, that Donnie did want is he wanted me to stay home with Steven. He didn't want somebody else taking care of a baby. So I did, I quit my job, never went back to work, and then we proceeded to be destitute and super poor, and it was worth it. I remember counting pennies, counting every dollar to buy the formula, to buy diapers. We had nothing. My parents helped us so much. Um, it was just, it was incredibly hard to make ends meet. And eventually I went back to work a little bit part-time at night at my old at Wells Fargo. I worked, I just, you know, picked up some shifts at an old position I'd had downtown. So that helped, but I'm so glad in hindsight, you know, I had one baby and at the time I didn't know I was only going to have one baby, but I got to spend time with my baby, the one baby I had, I was there. And I'm so grateful for that. I know that's not possible for a lot of people. And, um, and it was possible for me. So it just remains such a gift in my heart to think of those days of just waking up with my baby, taking care of my baby, taking him to the mall. My sister and I spent a lot of time together with, with Steven as a baby. And it was just a beautiful, wonderful time in my life of just being a mom to a little baby. I just, he was such a sweet baby. He was very colicky when he was first little, when he was first born, but otherwise he was just a little giggle machine and so cute. And he was so fat. Oh my gosh. He had like roly poly little legs, giant, just chubby cheeks. And he was so funny. He was just the best. I mean, everybody says that about their baby, but it was true about my little Steven. We called him Stevie Bear. Um, and, um, he, he was just the light of my life. So, um, I eventually, I, uh, I went back to school just tried to finish up my degree. I had gone to school for one year out of high school and then quit. And so um, it was really fun to go back to school. I go to some classes during the day. He got babysat by a lady at church and by my sister. And, um, and so that was really fun to be able to go to class. Sometimes I brought him to school with me. Um, and otherwise just be at home and studying. And 
we watched Blue's Clues and Bob the Builder and all those fun little things, and he was just the best. Um, and then when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, he was in school. Um, we sent him to a private Baptist school because I wanted to homeschool him. His dad wanted him to go to public school, so our compromise with was private Christian school. So he went to a faith Baptist Christian school and he had the most amazing kindergarten teacher. And, um, it was a really tiny little school and his classmates from kindergarten, from pre-K actually, were his classmates, the same kids until well into high school. And so it was, it was really cool. They, it was a small school, but they remained tight. So these boys lived in the same town as we did. And so growing up in the summertime, they were at our house. He was at their house. Gabe and Michael, twins, besties. They had an older brother and a younger brother. And so Stephen and the Ida Soji boys, they were like peas and carrots. And it was just a gift because when you go to a small school like that, you have a small little group. And often, you know, those people change, come and go, whatever. And without being in the typical high or the typical public school system where you have classes and you potentially you know, know a lot of people. It was so great that he got to have that connection with these same kids. Um, and they ended up staying at the same private school. And then when that school closed, they went to a, another private school together as well. So just, you know, ended up being really great. So, um, they were a big part, they were a big part of our life. Um, so big part of the story in my life, Stephen. um, unfortunately is the child of divorce and his dad and I got divorced and it was really um pretty traumatic pretty painful I know when Steve and I have talked about it it's just very sobering to understand what kind of impact that has on kids and people tell you in the moment kids are resilient Steven's going to be fine um don't worry about him just make sure that you're okay and And while I understand that sentiment, you know, looking back, it's so painful to think about, you know, I was trying to take care of myself and get through it because the greater purpose was to protect Stephen from becoming like his father, which was the whole point. Um, Again, if you've listened to previous episodes about all of that, um, you know, it was a pretty, pretty terrible situation. But, you know, in hindsight, I can see things so differently and I just, my heart breaks for him. Um, just to understand, you know, who was there for, for him. I was certainly preoccupied with my own pain, and so was his dad. And um, I'm grateful for the people in our lives that really did step up and offer support to him. But um, it's one of those things, you know, you, you think about as as the parent. I think about it a lot. You know, should I have stayed? Should I have gone? Did I do the right thing? He only gets one childhood, and I mucked it up. Um, and it's really, really hard. And, and ultimately, there, is, there isn't a do-over. Um, but I'm really proud of Stephen and how he walked through it and how he continues to walk through navigating the story of his childhood, um, which unfortunately had some really low moments. Um, I think about that baby, that little blueberry eyes, pure, innocent, perfect little baby that was entrusted to us. And to know that, you know, in a few years time, that little baby would be experiencing pain. And, um, you know, that's something that's really hard to grapple with at this point in time. And so I'm, I'm really proud of him. And I'm really proud of how 
how we are able to at least, you know, talk about those things, we've, we've come a long way. So, um, when his parent, when his parents, when his dad and I split, um, initially we lived very close to each other so we could split time with Steven so he could go back and forth. So it was important to me to stay near because his dad and he had, um, things they liked together, like to watch Duke basketball and they liked to go to uh, monster truck shows. And there were a lot of things that they liked to do together. They were both Steven's big fan of star Wars. He's a big fan of a lot of things that his dad, um, was a fan of. They were, you know, they were close. They had a really great buddy friendship, um, dad, son. And I couldn't do that. That was one thing I knew early on in divorce is like, I can't be his dad. I can be his mom, but I can't be his dad. So we lived close to each other. And, um, and it was tough because his dad was, and is a piece of work and, um, it was challenging, but, um, it worked, it worked out well initially, but then his dad moved away to about five hours away to a town in Wisconsin. And that's kind of where it got to be more of a, of a stressful time. Stephen couldn't miss school, so he was with me most of the time during the school year, and then he started to spend holidays and summers with his dad in Wisconsin, and that was so hard because, you know, you don't have a baby ever imagining that they're not going to be with you, much less every other weekend and two nights a week, but for the entire summer or for every holiday, and it was so hard to get used to that. Um, and it was also really hard to have to be, you know, Mr. Mom, Mrs. Mom all the time. Um, Steven certainly missed seeing his dad. Um, it was just a really, really difficult thing, but it, in the end it was, it was me and Steve and we had, we had our moments, but we had a lot of fun. Steven is, um, Steven's really funny and he can be a little moody. Steven and I are very different. I'm pretty much a positive up person and he runs a little bit more on the pessimistic side which it's just proof that it doesn't matter who your parents are it's it's a little bit nature versus nurture I you know I didn't model for him no one modeled for him um a little bit of a bleak attitude and yet that's what he has in fact there's a really funny funny story I tell a lot when um when he and I when he was I don't know maybe eight or nine I was working and we had um, we had a babysitter for him during the summer and it was really hard for me to leave him with a babysitter and go to work, but I had to do it. And one day I decided to call out sick to work and spend the day with Steven. I said, Steve, guess what? I'm going to spend the day with you. We're going to do everything you want. So he was all excited. So first he wanted to learn how to play tennis. So we went to Walmart. We bought rackets and balls. We went to the tennis court. We threw the ball around for, I don't know, 15 minutes. And then he was done. Okay, no big deal. What else do you want to do? This is your day. Oh, he wanted ice cream. So we went and got ice cream. Then he wanted to go look at Legos. So we went all the way down to Mall of America to go to Legoland, look at Legos, had all this fun. And as we were driving back home, I hear this big old sigh in the back seat. I was like, Steve, what's up? He's like, just having a hard day. I was like, what, what did you just say? You're having a hard day. And that is just, that represents like, that's Steven. It was so funny. But, um, but you know, we, we had a lot of fun. I, I drove him to school. He stayed in that private school. So the routine was to drop him off 
at school on my way to work and then obviously pick him up after. And so in the morning, he didn't want to get up and he hated getting up for school. He hated all of that. And, you know, he's a preteen. So the whole thing was, if you hurry up and you don't make us late, we'll get a donut. So if he hurried up, we get in the car, we go to Kowalski's, which is right behind us. I'd get a Starbucks coffee. He could get a chocolate frosted custard filled donut, and then he'd have a donut on the way to school. So that was our tradition. So most days we stopped for a donut. I got coffee. He got a donut. And, um, and I loved it. And to this day, I would give anything anything to have him right here just go take him to get a donut it was just a precious precious routine we had um when I see moms now and they're like I'm gonna stop and get donuts and bring them home to the kids and my heart just leaps I think oh you're so lucky to just go get donuts and bring them to your kids I mean it's donuts are terrible for you but it doesn't matter donuts are love (laughs) but um and I was always the fun mom. So here's the thing. Dropping him off at private Christian school, Baptist school, on the way, when I let him listen to whatever he wanted to in the car. Stephen could always DJ. And um, I've never been picky. Um, I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music. When it came to Stephen, I didn't care. So we'd be driving up to private school with, like, the most heinous rap music going. And um, I didn't care. And then I'd pick him up and I'd pick up you know, Gabe and Michael, the Adesoji boys, his friends, and get in the car and they could listen to whatever they wanted to. So I was like the cool mom and I didn't care. And I swore all the time around them. I just didn't care. I just didn't care. Those things don't matter to me. And so, you know, I don't know, I guess say what you will, but we had a lot of fun. We were buddies. And, um, also I was his mom who, you know, I was his life ruiner. And, uh, Sometimes, so Stephen, no matter how difficult things got, and things got difficult a lot. He had a really hard time with school. He had a really hard time with learning. I was working all the time. I had a really hard time figuring out how to motivate him, how to get him to do his homework. We had tutors. It was so hard. It was just a struggle to to figure out how to relate to each other. Um, and I, I didn't know how to motivate him, but I would get really upset and I was a yeller sometimes and I would just, you know, like, I don't understand. I can't make you care. If you don't care, I can't care for you. And we had that conversation because he just didn't care at one point. And I remember there was one time where I said, and I know when you walk away from me and you go in your room, you're saying all kinds of horrible things about me under your breath. And that's just fine. And he looked at me with this, the shocked look, like, how do you know? And then this little smirk of like, whoa. And it was hysterical because I'm like, yeah, he says all that stuff. But Stephen never talked back to me. Stephen never called me names. Stephen never disrespected me. If there is one thing that I am incredibly proud of with that boy is he never, ever disrespected his mother like that. He disrespected me sometimes by like, you know, not cleaning up after himself But that boy's heart for his mom has always been just magnificent. And being a single stay-at-home, or being a, I was going to stay-at-home mom, being a single mom to a teenager most of the time is tough. And we did not like each other sometimes. But that boy, that boy just, um, I never wondered if that boy loved his mom. And what a gift that was for me.
Um, I second guess myself all the time. I will still describe myself as a terrible mom. None of it came naturally to me. None of it came easily to me. I second guess myself. I made so many mistakes. Um, gosh, I just wish I could have a do-over. But um, my son has given me so much grace and we had a lot of fun. So in the car, in the mornings, on the way to school, I'm, I'm a morning person. Steven is not. And we'd be listening to the radio, and there was this song. It was a flow rider song, but there was the cover of that. I don't even know who it is, but it's the, the oh, sometimes I get a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. I just sang. Yes, I did. And um, I would sing it to him, like, loudly. And he would get so mad. And it would come on, and he'd side-eye me, and he'd say, no. And I would just stay deadpan. And then it would come to that part, and I would belt it out in his face. And he'd be like, Mom, no. But then he would start smirking, and I could always get him. So that was one of our things. And then um, there was one time I worked at a law firm, and we had a lot of local celebrity-type people that came in. And it was April Fool's Day. And I came home from work, and, I, and Stephen was obsessed with LeBron James. And I said, oh, hey, Steve, uh, today at work, LeBron James came in. And he goes, what? Did you tell him hi for me? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I told him about you. I, I showed him your picture, and he said, wow, Stephen looks like a really great basketball player. He's like, what? He did? He saw me? I said, yeah. He said to tell you that he's like a big fan, and he's heard of you and stuff. And he's like, no way. Really? Did you talk to him? Did you get his picture, his autograph? I said, no, April Fools. And that boy got so pissed at me. He looked at me like he wanted to kill me. And he walked away and shut his door. And he was mad at me for so long. And even now, he is 22 years old. If I bring that up, it's too soon. It's not funny. It's never going to be funny, but man, oh man, did I enjoy that one. So there was another incident that comes to mind. Uh, Steven got in really big fat trouble at school for something. I don't remember what it was, but I was pissed and we came home and I was laying into him. I'm like, you know, you are losing all your privileges. Give me your phone. I'm so upset with you. I cannot believe this happened. Blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I was pissed and he knew it. And I walked in the kitchen as I'm laying it on and I go to turn the sink on and I saw Steven's face just turn white with horror as I went to the sink. Because that morning he had thought it'd be really funny to put a rubber band around the spray hoser on the sink so that when I turned the faucet on, I'd get sprayed in the face with the sprayer. So as I'm ranting and raving and he's in big fat trouble, he watches his mom walk over to the sink, reach for the faucet, and turn it on, and get sprayed directly in the face with water. And I turned the faucet off, and my face, you know, my eyes were closed. I was soaking wet. And I said, when I opened my eyes, you shouldn't be standing there. And he took off. He, he didn't show his face for a long time. But I will never forget the look of horror on his face when he realized, like, he had forgotten. He'd done it a long time ago. The timing couldn't have been worse. So, 
all that to say we had some fun. So, um, so after his dad moved to Wisconsin, um, he had moved in with a girlfriend that ended. And instead of moving back to Minnesota, he decided to move to North Carolina where his family was. And, um, I didn't know Stephen knew he was told and it was a big old secret. And so that was a really tough situation because his dad moved away he moved, his dad moved in with his own brother, and so he didn't have a place for Stephen at first. So it was a long, long time between his dad moving away and Stephen being able to go see him. And so it started this cycle of kind of um, this angst for Stephen of, like, my dad left, my dad is gone, um, I'm stuck here, my mom is mean and horrible and makes me go to school and take a shower and brush my teeth and it's awful, and uh, my dad is gone. And so we had a really rough, rough go of it for a while. Um, just heartbreaking, you know? He's a teenager. He, he, he always had a good relationship with his dad as far as they shared hobbies and shared ideas. And his dad's a manipulative, horrible human being. And, um, you know, from go was that way to me, which is why we ended up splitting up. And then, you know, took that out on Stephen. And so the message of... Um, you know, you are not going to be anything unless you do exactly as I say. And unfortunately, Stephen's ideas of what he wanted to do with his life have never really lined up with what his dad has wanted for him. You know, a typical tale. Um, but Stephen has had to, from a very early age, learn how to navigate dealing with a very manipulative, overbearing, controlling, horrible person as a father. Um, and I can say that because, you know, uh, he's my ex. Um, and I had to just be quiet. I, I tried really hard not to paint a picture of his dad to him. I wasn't always successful, but I knew that I couldn't be Stephen's dad. And I knew that there was no merit in turning my son away from his father because he has one father and his father's a terrible person. But it's still possible to have a relationship with your dad, even if I think he's a terrible person. So it was a struggle for both of us. And uh, when his dad moved away, Stephen there, there again, shorter chunks of time with his dad, more time with me because of the logistics. And Stephen was in school in Minnesota. But eventually, um, Stephen wanted to spend more time with his dad. And he started to be really pulled and tugged between his dad wanting him to just move there and, you know, leave your mom. Your mom doesn't care about you. As long as you live with your mom, you're going to be struggling for money. And with me, we're going to have everything that we want, which is kind of how it was. I was, you know, starting over. I left his dad with nothing and um, started over and was just absolutely hand to mouth. And his dad, you know, he had been making good money and he rebuilt his life in North Carolina and, and did have the house and the cars and the brand names and, and the vacations. And that's something that's always been important to him and something that's just never been important to me. And so Stephen has had, um, has had to navigate that. And again, I'm, I'm just really proud of how he's grown and learned and understood what those things mean and what they don't. And he still struggles with it. I think it's something that he'll always have to grapple with because, um, He's got two very different parents, and his parents split when he was young, but he's really had to do a lot of, of paying attention to what matters and how you feel with someone versus what you have. And, um, and I know that his dad and him have made huge leaps in their relationship, and I'm again, I'm very proud of him. Um, so 
it kind of all culminated. He and I, you know, dealing with, with trying to, I wanted him to graduate. I wanted him to succeed in life. I was this, you know, single working mom, um, trying to figure it all out. I did a lot of things really, really poorly. Um, and Stephen really got this idea that things would be better if he lived with his dad. And his dad, of course, punctuated that with a big exclamation point. So it came to a head. Um, it was his junior year. He had transferred into public school. It wasn't going well. At, unfortunately, at the beginning of the school year, there was um, a couple of kids that jumped Stephen at school and beat him up pretty badly, unprovoked. It was all caught on video. They pressed charges against the kids, but it was awful because Stephen looked over his shoulder the rest of the school year and his experience there was tainted from go. It was awful. Um, and I, I he, Stephen was just struggling. And so his dad convinced him that if he moved down to North Carolina, he could go to school there and he would, it would be better. And so when Stephen went there for summer, I got a call from him saying, hey, mom, I'm going to stay. I'm going to come home and get my things and I'm going to live with my dad. And that was really hard. I, um, I felt very betrayed. Uh, all this, you know, my narrative, all of this time and energy and effort, I've done everything I can for you. It's been you and me against the world. And now you're going to go live with him, you know, my enemy, he doesn't have your best interest at heart. He just tries to buy you off. You know, this is how I'm feeling. And ultimately, I had to say, okay, you know, it's time for you to know who your father is. And you already know who your mother is. You live with me. You know, I'm a, you know, I'm doing my best, but I am, a, I'm not perfect. I was, I handled things not well. Okay. I, I am the first one to say I was not an amazing mother. I didn't know what to do, and I failed miserably at so much of it, so much of it. Um, and so he knew my strengths and weaknesses, and he needed to know his dad because it's so easy to romanticize what you don't have. But um, it was the hardest. It was the hardest thing in my life up to that point. Nothing touched it. To see him pack his things and leave and go live and start a life there, and then this is the worst part, which sounds funny. He did well. I had to admit that Stephen living with his dad in North Carolina, going to school there, passing classes, catching up on stuff he'd been failing, and graduating high school, I had to credit my ex-husband, my archenemy, with making that happen. And that is a tough, sharp, jaggedy pill to swallow. <laughs> Hi, you're a horrible person. You ruined my life. But you did what I couldn't do, and that was get this boy to care about school and graduate high school. And that took every bit of I don't know where it came from, but something to be able to say thank you. And I meant it from the bottom of my heart. And um, Donnie got remarried, and um, his wife, Jennifer, I think she had a lot to do with it. Um, but together they they helped him graduate and they were incredibly gracious. And when Stephen um, graduated, they had an open house. They invited me and my sister and my mom down and welcomed us. And we got to, we got to go to North Carolina and celebrate my son's high school graduation, which was the most amazing, beautiful, proud moment. 
And it was hard to say, I, I couldn't do this. I, if Stephen had stayed with me, he wouldn't have graduated high school, 100%. But everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. And I, I couldn't do it, but his dad did it and Stephen did it. And I was so proud of him. Seeing him walk across that stage and get his high school diploma, it, was, it meant so much to me. That boy went through so much. He'd been tugged and tug of war so much. And school was so hard for him. Learning was hard for him. And he did it. And I'm just, I, I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him. So he graduated high school and um, decided to continue to live down in North Carolina. And Stephen and I had the chance to have many conversations um, about things in our relationship. And, um, and I'm no expert and I'm no saint. But you know what? The most powerful thing the most powerful thing, and if you have kids and if you have difficult relationships with your kids, I can't, I can't stress this more. Apologize to your kids. And when they tell you what you've done wrong, do not argue. I would spend so much time arguing with Stephen. He'd say, you know, you weren't there for me. You didn't listen. And I would say, you didn't want me around. You said to go away. You, and I would argue but when I stop doing that and just say, wow, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I, I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry. I, I, that's, I can't believe that I did that. I, I wish I could make it right, Stephen. When I stopped arguing with his pain, when I stopped arguing with his version of the story and simply believed his reality, everything shifted. And it took time, obviously. It doesn't happen overnight. But Stephen was able to stop. You know, I stopped defending myself. And so therefore, he could put the weapon down and vice versa. He didn't have to convince me that I heard him. I said, yes, I did. And I'm sorry. And I love you. And I, I made a lot of mistakes. And that changed us from adversaries to allies. Yeah, Stephen... We screwed up a lot of things. It wasn't ideal for either of us. I failed you, but I love you and I wanna be here now. And, and him moving away, it changed our relationship to, you know, he didn't have to please me. He didn't have to meet my rules. I could just let him exist. And it was healing and transformative. And now, and now I wish I could have a do-over but I'm so proud. I'm so proud of him and I'm proud of us because if there's one thing I didn't want, I didn't want a relationship with him where he felt like he had to put on a show or be someone he wasn't around me. I've had to do that my whole life with people that raised me and, you know, going back and being around how I was grown up. It's, you know, there's definitely conditions on you're acceptable if, and I just want Steven to be Steven. He's a beautiful, awesome soul. Does he struggle? Yes. Did he just get a giant tattoo on his arm? Yes, he did. But he's, he's, he's flawless to me. And I just want him to be him. And he has a better shot of being him and being the greatest version of him if he's not trying to be who I wanted him to be, which has nothing to do with reality. So all that to say, if you have kids and if they have a narrative that you don't understand, Stephen had as a narrative about his childhood that I wasn't there for. I don't recognize the story because it's not what my my reality was but it doesn't matter 
That's his reality. That's the story of his childhood. Who am I to say you are wrong about what you experienced? No. Just like he doesn't have any idea what it was like for me, I don't have any idea what it was like to be in his little shoes. So it's like saying, from where I stand, the clock says 7.05. And looking at it, and you're at a little different angle, and you know the, the big hand looks like it's on the four, and being like, you're wrong. No, we're just a little dis- different perspective. Or like if you're watching a sporting event at a stadium, and you are on the 50-yard line, and someone else is in the end zone, you're going to watch the same experience and see it completely differently and probably tell a different story. And that is what happens with our children and us. They're sitting in a different spot. They're sitting in a different, just like you feel like with your parents. Like my mom has no idea what it was like to be her child. And I have no idea what it was like to be my mom. And so we have to set down the weaponry and say, okay, your reality is truth. And why not? What do we have to lose? What do I have to lose by saying, Stephen, yes, I want to understand how it was for you. Why? I love you. You're that little blueberry-eyed baby given to me. And guess what? I mucked it up. And you were hurt. And that's your reality. And I'm not going to hark you it. And, um, and so it's taken time. But um, my, my son is um, he's the most beautiful creature on the earth. And I love him so much. He lives in North Carolina. He moved back to Minnesota for a little while, and that was kind of a tough transition too. He moved back when I was living with G, and everything was falling apart with my marriage, and uh, alcoholism was ruining everything. And Stephen, Stephen was my rock. I couldn't be in that house. I couldn't watch my ex-husband drink himself to death. I couldn't rescue the dog. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go near there. And Stephen was my hero. He handled things. He handled uncomfortable things. He he showed up in a mighty strong way for his mom. And I will never forget it. I will never be able to express to him the gratitude I have. He, his heart is big and beautiful and wonderful. And, and he was the parent to me at that time. And I'm just, I, I'm so proud of him. And um, so he's in North Carolina again. He was, he was in Minnesota for a while and then went back to North Carolina and he's there and he's working. And um, he was going to come visit old mom in Miami um, earlier this winter, but he got COVID and he couldn't travel and it was such a bummer. And then because he took time off because of COVID, he couldn't take time off from work. And so he has as yet to visit me here in Miami, but soon and very soon that will change. And I'm so excited to just show him my little world down here and, and for him to meet people here that don't even like know, hey, I have a kid. Yes, I do. So I always say I'm an old mom. Um, he'll be 23 this summer and I'll be 43. And, um, you know, Steven's been a big fan of mine. He obviously saw me be 400 pounds. He saw me um, lose weight. He saw me go through weight loss surgery. He saw me start to go to the gym. He saw me start to change my life. He's just, he's always been there seeing all of these things. And he's so proud of me. And um, he tells people about me. And he tells people that I'm strong and that I've done hard things. 
And when I think about the person in my life that I most want to be proud of me, it's, it's my little Stevie. And he is. And it's, um, it's such a gift. Such a gift. So um, we, have, we have a lot of shared memories. There's this one memory. It's just turning into like the Stephen memory thing. But there was this one memory uh, that he and I laugh about. So when we moved out of our house, when, when we got divorced, um, when his dad and I got divorced, um, I stayed in our house until it was sold. And then Stephen and I moved into a little townhouse. And it was a lot of work going from a big old house into a little townhouse. And it was emotional and it was tough. But we, um, we moved all day and we were up till, I don't know, it was like three in the morning and we were exhausted. And I was like, Steve, I'm starving. We got to eat. Let's go, let's go, let's go to McDonald's. It's like the middle of the night. And he looked at me like, what? Like, let's just do it. Let's go. We'll find a 24 hour McDonald's. There's one not far. Let's go get some food. So we hop into this big old pickup truck we'd borrowed from my brother-in-law and we drove to McDonald's, which wasn't super far away at a 24 hour McDonald's. And we pull up to the drive-thru and there's a sign that says, just for tonight, we're closed overnight for cleaning or something like that. The one night of the year that I wanted McDonald's at three in the morning and the one night of the year they were not open. So I'm like, all right, well, we've already gone this far. There's another McDonald's like a little further. So we drove all the way to downtown St. Paul. So by this time, it's 25 miles in the middle of the night to find a 24-hour McDonald's so we could get chicken nuggets and eat them in the truck. And we did. And I remember we did a little cheers with our chicken nuggets. And both of us, that memory is just burned into our brains of that night. And so um, when he was living in Minnesota um, a couple years ago, um, he called me one night at, I don't know, midnight. He said, hey, mom, do you want to go get breakfast? I said, yes, I do. (laughs) So I was in bed. I got dressed. Got in my car, met him at a Denny's, and we had breakfast in the middle of the night. We had pancakes and had fun talking to the waitress and had so much fun just having breakfast in the middle of the night. And we remembered, hey, remember when we went in the drive-thru at 3 in the morning and um, bonded. And I don't know, there's just nothing more, more precious to me than those little moments of silly bonding things, those little shared memories. Um, they overcome all of those, you know, the yelling about the homework and the LeBron James April Fool's joke and the water in the face, all of those things. And, you know, tons, tons, tons more. So, um, that's just a little bit about my Steven. He's a beautiful little soul. He does look a lot like me. I get that a lot. When people see pictures of us, they say, oh my gosh, he's the male version of you. And I say, thank you. This is a handsome, sweet little boy. So he'll always be my little boy, my little Stephen Weaven. Um, and hopefully those of you who want to meet him someday in conjunction with me, it's funny because um, when I see him, like I saw him at Christmas, the minute I'm around him, I'm a mom. Stephen, did you brush your teeth? Stephen, what's on? Comb your hair. <laughs> I just turn into a nitpicky nag and, uh, and that's okay. I mean, I haven't seen him since Christmas, and so I haven't been able to nag anyone. So when I see him again, he's coming to visit in May, um, I'll get to nag him, and I'll turn right back into a mom. That's all I have for you today in this episode. Thank you for joining me. 
Thank you for sharing this podcast and these episodes that you love. Thank you for sharing them directly with your friends, with your social media. It means the world to me when I see online that you've shared this podcast. The best way for you to share it, honestly, is to send a link directly to somebody that you think would get something out of this podcast. Because saying, hey, I have a podcast for you is great. But sending a link where they just have to click is much more powerful and makes it easier on them. So send them a link. You can do that through iTunes, through Spotify, through Anchor. It's really easy. Also, if you could let me know, I would just love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you learned or what you felt when you were listening to this episode or any of my episodes. You can find me on Instagram. I'm destination underscore begin. Send me a message there or leave a comment. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Leave a five-star review would be so great. Um, And you can also email me, Kristen at destinationbegin.com.